0: You decide what you want to be afraid of. The whole landscape for filming a video part has changed. And we all live a very beautiful life in the mountains.
1: Hey podcast listeners, it's Lisa here from Wheelie Creative, a creative agency that specializes in creating wild, meaningful, irreverent, and usually pretty hilarious content for brands in the outdoor industry. Today is an awesome podcast. I got to chat with Kimmy Fasani, super pro of life and sports, um, but mostly known for her work with Burton, snowboards, and... Kimmy has a lot to say about mindfulness, managing fear, and all the projects that she's been working on. I kind of liked our conversation on how to manage social media in an ever-changing society. So check it out. Kimmy is awesome, and this is one of my favorite episodes. So there are so many subjects that we could talk about, um, but mostly the Outside by Design listeners are pretty business-savvy adventurers. So I think one thing our listeners would really love to learn about is your life and how you (laughs) made
0: your passion into a career. Gosh, it's been this... Ever since I was little, I was always this fearless child who was always excited to try new things, and I was a gymnast when I was um, from like five until 12 years old, and that was like my number one passion. And... I think just finding ways to use my body to the fullest has always been a huge driving point for me and being in the outdoors and being a snowboarder skier when I was little uh, just gave me a connection to the mountains that I never really understood. I, I knew that it was something that was so much greater than I could fathom but now looking back it's just I love being in the mountains and I love using my body and together it just kind of created this never-ending passion for exploration and snowboarding has kind of given me that outlet to take it to that next level.
1: So where did you learn to
0: snowboard? Do you remember that moment? I do. I learned to snowboard at Soda Springs uh, up off Donner Summit. And it was my, i my mom agreed to let me snowboard if I continued to be a skier. So <laughs> When I was nine, she surprised me, surprised me with a snowboard for Christmas. And her commitment uh, or her agreement with me was that I could go snowboarding after my ski races. And I think for her, she was a single parent and she wanted me to be able to keep up with her. And finally in skiing, I was keeping up with her and I was doing great. So now for me to start a new thing, um, she just didn't want me to lose what she had helped me really Build. So, anyways, so I remember she got me a lesson, uh, and it was this uh, awesome guy. I don't remember his name, but I. She didn't want to buy me snowboard boots because she thought that this was a fad that wasn't gonna last for me. And I was in my sorels, in my ski race pants, and like a purple (laughs) fleece uh, with a headband on and sunglasses. And I remember linking my first few turns and just being hooked. And that, seriously, just that connection um, is what led me to today. I remember following all my guy friends through the trees after that and hitting little jumps and just finding so much freedom, being able to carve the mountain um, away from skiing because it was something new and different. That's amazing. So that's like the funniest visual. Um.
1: <laughs> I have a photo and oh. it's just to a T. It's amazing. Did you drop, ski, drop skiing completely pretty much after that?
0: No, I skied. uh, So I was nine when I started snowboarding and I skied till I was 12. And then when I was 12, my mom was going to buy me new equipment, but she didn't want to buy both. And at that point, she realized that I really did love snowboarding. And so she bought me a new snowboard. And um, I would still go out like once or twice a year uh, skiing. But I definitely, when I was 12, it really transitioned over to snowboarding. That's so great. That's (laughs)
1: That's <laughs> pretty fun. Yeah. So what kind of adventures have snowboarding, has snowboarding taken you on? Like a million. But what, have, what are some that have stuck out in your mind?
0: Some of the most impactful adventures, I would say, is growing up as a woman and knowing um, that I was unique. I, when I started competing competing was its own adventure because there weren't that many females that did it, especially up in Tahoe. Uh, and so when I would show up at nationals, that was kind of like the breaking point of, okay, like, do I have what it takes to make this something more than just a hobby? And going through all the contest circuits really helps you figure out who you are mentally and physically and what you're capable of and what your strengths and weaknesses are. And that was a long adventure for me. I mean, from when I was 14, I started competing in USASA events at 14 and I competed until I was about 23 um, or 24, maybe 24 or five. Mm -hmm. And so that's a long time. That's 10 years of trying to put solid contest results out. And I never really could do it. And that Some people would maybe give up at that point, but I knew that there was more for me out in the mountains and I wanted to explore them in a deeper sense and I had a lot of supportive people uh, kind of encourage me to start filming. So that was like the next huge adventure was getting into filming and being in the backcountry really took me to so many beautiful places. Um, Japan has probably been a highlight of that uh, beginning process of getting into the film industry or film uh, side of the snowboard industry yep. and just seeing how peaceful that uh, country is how amazing the people are, um, how beautiful the snow is, that was really eye-opening to me. And then over the past couple of years, I've transitioned into really wanting to spend a lot of time in the big mountains. And this past season, I spent, um, I went to Alaska up to Haines three different times, and that has definitely stolen my heart again. So I feel like I've been through three big transitions in my career. Yeah. Uh, And it just keeps going, which is awesome. I, weren't you the first woman to land a double backflip in the backcountry? I, I, I landed a double backflip in the backcountry and in powder. I mean, sorry, and in park. Um, and I, it's been so cool to see all that progression happen uh, with with women snowboarding. It's really inspiring.
1: Yeah, I remember. What like wasn't that? What year was that? Like two thousand ten or 11? eleven? Eleven. Eleven. Yeah. yeah, I remember that. I'm like, that's crazy.
0: Yeah, and like I landed it in the backcountry, and then I really wanted to land it in the park too because backcountry you can have. Um, I didn't have the style I wanted on my trick in the backcountry, and so and the backcountry is so forgiving because the landing is so nice and soft. But for me to feel like I really knew how to do that trick, I wanted to land it in the park. And uh, it was really cool to kind of unite that that season where I landed it in January in 2012 in the backcountry. And then I came back to Mammoth um, and they had built me a little a private jump where I had a bunch of girlfriends come and hang and ride with me. And I ended up getting up the courage to try it on that jump. And um, it just made me feel a lot more confident that I knew actually how to do that trick and it wasn't just a fluke
1: (laughs) that it wasn't just a fluke that's funny Um, (laughs) awesome that's yeah that that was really cool I remember that um what uh, that's interesting you went out there with a bunch of girlfriends um specifically that you said that so what is that like for you to ride with women
0: I there's I feel like we're all inspired in different ways by different people. And for me, riding with women can be an amazing platform because you can look at each other and relate to each other and how your bodies work and, um, how you see progression happening within the sport. Like if sometimes if I go out with a guy and he's doing crazy tricks that I don't feel like I am capable of doing yet, it makes it really unrealistic. And, um, Hard to kind of be attainable, and when you're writing with women, we are all similar in the way that we're thinking about progression. So watching a girl do a 720 or a 900, it kind of gives you that approach of like, oh my gosh, like I just watched her do that, and it makes it so realistic, and it makes it feel like it's possible. When you see a girl do something, and you're a female, it makes it feel like it's it's possible, it's within reach. But then I'm also I love spending my seasons filming with guys because I do feel like that progression of limitlessness mentality makes me ride harder and try more in some ways as well. So I think it's just a constant balance. I agree. I, yeah,
1: I think that both, both roles are important. And um, also having relationships in the backcountry is nice, you know, when you get to be with your person
0: in the backcountry and push each other. exactly I believe you have that I do it's uh, been very special to have my husband is pro skier and um, Chris has Chris Benchettler is his name and he has really given me the foundation of um, just so much support and stability in the backcountry and for my career in general Um, so it's nice to have a partner that understands everything that I'm going through and vice versa
1: yeah that's awesome One thing that I wanted to talk about was your social media because your Instagram account is like this really genuine explosion of sunshine Uh, (laughs) where it's just like big (laughs) smiles and like just genuine happiness emanating out of like every single post that you put up. So I was wondering, do you have a strategy for managing your social or um, does that just sort of happen for you organically?
0: That's a great question. Social media is such a big monster these days, and I try to be as authentic as possible through my outlets because I know that if I am being true to who I am on those platforms and people can see who I am, it's a lot, it's a lot more fun, I think. I like following people who I believe are doing what they say they're doing and um, are inspiring or whatever, that just have, like, a really fun outlook on adventure and exploring life. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And my social media, my Instagram especially, I try to make it as personal as possible. I, um, I try to share my adventures the way I see them, and I... Over the past, I'll say, a year or two, I've just really grown into my own skin and not really cared what people think or say I should be or shouldn't be, and I just try to expose myself in a way where people can get to know me through my adventures and know that I'm out there having fun, and they can totally do the same thing. It's really as easy as walking out your front door. Um and it's baby steps. It's not like you have to go and do the most extreme things. It's just about having fun and connecting with nature in any way you can.
1: Mm-hmm. Another thing I really like about your Instagram account is it's not it's not very it's not braggy at all. It doesn't feel like you're showing off it I think that's because the captions you write are so humble.
0: Oh that, you know? great, that's good to hear. I think it's hard because we live in a very Um, I'll say narcissistic society in some ways now, because everything is, it's the selfie nation. You know, we just, um, and it's hard not to put up that kind of imagery because everybody's showing everybody what we are doing. And we have these platforms now that can really help provide outlets to elevate our careers in those ways. But I try... I feel very fortunate to live the life I do, and um, I love spending time outdoors. And I am grateful for every single day that I can take a breath of air. And I hope that other people see that freedom. Sorry, my dog is barking. Um, I hope that other people can see that freedom through my posts. And I don't want it ever to be chauvinistic because it's just it's fun it's passion and we all have so much room to grow that no matter what i'm setting out to accomplish it's never going to be my greatest achievement you know so i i try not to put it up in a way that people are like oh wow she did the first this or first that i um i just like it to be as uh, i like it to be humble and show that I'm appreciative, I guess, because I know how fortunate I am.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's very
0: positive. Um,
1: Cool. thanks. How do you use Snapchat?
0: Snapchat has been fun. I don't really know if I'm using it correctly, but (laughs) I have been using, I've been using Snapchat to show like the behind the scenes, the unfiltered life of what I do. So it could be My friends making fun of me for doing something silly in the backcountry or my dog. My dog is really comical because she's a three pound Yorkie and she can keep up with me on most everything. (laughs) Um, And I like I like to just show like the silly moments of life and not have it be uh, edited and but still show people like that I'm out adventuring and that it doesn't always go the way you plan. Right. Yes. That's a big thing. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's like you see a photo on Instagram and you're like, oh, my gosh, that life is amazing. And then when you actually see everything that went into what that photo was, you're like, oh, my gosh, like she had to slide down these water slides and she had a backpack on and her sunglasses flew off. And it's just like you get to see like the life behind the photo, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's a really good use of Snapchat. Um, which is the number one app in the app store right now. So it's beating Facebook and Instagram right now. Oh, it's incredible. It's just, there's always something new. There's always something new. Yeah, it's always a matter of progression, even yeah, even with social media.
0: And I feel like there's some apps that I'm, I take part in and then there's some that I don't. But as I start seeing um, the younger generations get involved with Snapchat, and I've talked to a lot of them, um, like the younger girls, like in slope style contests, like Chloe Kim and Haley Langland, who have so much interaction on those platforms, and I see how cool they actually are. Like Snapchat is an amazing outlet for young people to connect, and not even young people, but just lifestyles. You get to see people's lifestyles behind the scenes, and I think that's fun. And becoming the way that people want to see life is the unedited, unedited versions.
1: Yes, I agree, and one thing that I've noted that's interesting is we work with a lot of creatives um, as well as athletes, but it seems like there's so much great content getting produced constantly. So the shelf life of media and videos is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Um, So I think Snapchat is a good way to sort of work with it instead of against that short shelf
0: life. Totally. And I, I think with Snapchat, it's like I even learn when I'm scrolling through all my friends' feeds, it's like you can click the button when you're over the content and kind of swipe through their feed really quickly. And that's what's happening with kind of all social media. It's like you want videos and stuff to be really quick action so that you get the idea. And then you can move on with the next thing that you have to do. Mm-hmm. And that quick media is now what's driving so much Business and what businesses really have to keep up with. Um, people don't want to see 30 minute long videos. It's like, unless they're action packed from start to finish, it's like they don't have time for that. So, breaking it down into really quick blips of action and showing people like the story of how to get there as most efficiently as possible um, is kind of what's the biggest driver, I think, right now.
1: Yeah, it's pretty amazing. How does that work for you? Are you doing any large projects where you're filming all season for something, or has that even that style, has that changed a bit?
0: That style has definitely changed, but this season I had the opportunity to work with Absent Films, and that was an insane experience, and um, probably like the highlight of my career, actually, most certainly the highlight of my career working with somebody that's been so established in the industry for so long and there aren't that many big production companies left. Um, So having that was a great experience. So I did spend my whole season filming for a video part that will come out in September. Um, And I'm very proud of it. But it's also that same conversation of, okay, well, how much more longevity do these kind of production companies have? Because the whole landscape for filming a video part has changed and people are creating content quickly and it's being um, distributed live as the season comes together and like my husband Chris Chetler did this year he did a series with GoPro and they released their four episodes and that was it you know he's done with showing what he did for this season rather than waiting a whole year for that content to come out.
1: It's not interesting because premiere season, you know, in the fall is such a big part of snowboarding, or at least it has
0: been. And now that's almost not as special as it used to be. Yeah. And video sales aren't really happening as much anymore. And so what does that look like? What is that uh, going to transfer over into? And what's that next evolution of video projects? Um, everybody's doing their own thing these days or magazines have really picked up a lot of writers to do video projects with them.
1: Mm -hmm. But I
0: think people want to see that live content paired with their social media feeds, you know, and um, if I'm out in Alaska, people want to see the action that's happening in Alaska as I'm doing it, not necessarily waiting uh, that, that special time of waiting for a video part isn't really as valuable anymore because people have already known what you've been up to rather than it being secret until the magazines or video projects come out that six months later.
1: That evolution, I think, will be interesting to see What even what it looks like in two years.
0: It's so true. So true. And Facebook Live, that's becoming yeah. a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I know maybe that's where it's like going to be live content from different trips. So people start filming certain projects um, on live platforms and how you do that. I'm not quite sure with backcountry riding because it's such a science of getting the weather, cruise, light, everything dialed. But maybe once you start having a jump session or something, that's when it goes live and that's when it's captured. That would be interesting. And then also the Wi-Fi issue out in the backcountry
1: is not. non know, <laughs> So it's like maybe yeah. it'll be interesting to see how the outdoor industry works with this in general.
0: Yeah. And it's almost like on Snapchat how you can like, if you're out of service, you can still load snaps and then upload them later. Maybe you're just going to start doing stories like that, but it's going to be like a full uh, series of that kind of thing. Interesting, interesting,
1: stuff, <laughs> interesting stuff out there. Um, I noticed that you just started getting into triathlons. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, oh, triathlons. How you're, yeah, now you're, now you're like doing this full season, um, you know, year long training and things. So I was curious what inspired you to do that and uh, how that's going.
0: So... About, I want to say, maybe seven years ago, my husband did an Olympic distance triathlon kind of off the couch, and he did well. And I was like, of course you do well. You're good at everything you do. Uh, You made it look so easy. Let me try it. And so the next season, I think I did a sprint length relay. I did like the bike portion with a couple friends. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that was kind of fun. And then I got hurt. I had a pretty big knee injury, which everybody probably, probably already knows about. And um, <clears throat> I was basically told I was going to be off snow for a year. And I was like, "Well, what am I going to do with my energy?" Because I'm an I love using my body, and I having to go through this big rehab. So doing a sprint distance triathlon was a goal of mine that I set, and it was a it was the the event that I wanted to do was nine months after my surgery. So I had nine months to be in the pool, to be on my bike and to get into running. Um, but I was still pretty limited and that was still a big goal to have for that injury because it just took a lot of time to heal. But anyways, I ended up doing the the sprint length distance triathlon and I did pretty well. I like won my age group and got fourth overall and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is something that maybe I could try doing more of. And I loved the way I felt because I was using my body and my mind in ways that snowboarding didn't use them. I was um, having to combine my energy and really harness my mind to not freak out when I would get stressed out swimming or whatever, or pushing myself past certain limits. And Then I did a couple more relays. Last year, I did a relay with my mom where I did uh, the bike and the run, and she did the swim, which was really special, celebrating her 70th birthday. And then, great. Yeah, and then this year, so that event that my husband did seven years ago, it's June Lake Triathlon, and it's an amazing event. It's a lake swim, Um, it's a trail, partial trail run. And then a beautiful bike ride. So if I was going to do an Olympic distance, that's the one that I wanted to do. And I just kind of set my guns in January this year as a resolution, if you will, that I was going to do that event. And I just uh, kind of worked up to it. But I honestly didn't start training for it until the beginning of June or like the end of or sorry, the uh, the beginning of May. Um, just because I was coming off a season and it's really hard to kind of coordinate that time frame but yeah so I ended up doing the triathlon just uh, two days ago and it went good I survived the swim still really was so hard uh, but the bike and the run I made up some time and I ended up second overall in my uh, age group and I think ninth overall for women not so bad (laughs) it was really fun
1: Wow. How, yeah, so what is swimming sort of your um,
0: biggest challenge in those three right now? Yeah. Swimming is, I love swimming. I can swim in the ocean. I can swim in the lake. I love the water. But being in a wetsuit in somewhat cold water, it, like, limits my breath, and it makes it so hard to breathe when you're face down in the water. Like. <laughs> yeah. I I backstroke was my best friend and I just had to survive to get through it. I love that it was that much of a challenge because it just really gives me something more to work towards and it it's just humbling, you know, it's like you think you can be good at so many different activities and then the simple act of swimming was a huge struggle for me. So it's fun to feel that and try to work through it mentally and physically. And how's how's biking going for you? I love biking. Um, I, it's one of those kind of meditative things that and running for me, I just can zone out and push hard and climb hills. And I, it's like my release biking is my non-impact. And then running is like, if I need to get into a rhythm and feel the environment and my heartbeat, it's just like, I, I love doing both of those too. And are you a brand ambassador for Liv's? Bikes now. I and am. Cool. Yeah, and being part of that program has been amazing. Uh, Live makes great bikes. I have a mountain bike and a road bike, and um, being able to tell my stories through their platforms and just the similarity of snowboarding and mountain biking, especially, is uh, an amazing crossover. And having um, a connection with that company has been fun for me because I can kind of have an outlet during the summer with them and then obviously with Burton during the winter and trying to tell those stories collaboratively has been um, uh, an exciting new kind of balance. Yeah, uh, there was just a live event out at the Whitefish
1: Bike Retreat where I live in Whitefish, Montana, and it was so well done. I was so impressed. Um, Awesome. And just how much enthusiasm these women provided for the community. It was amazing. I just couldn't believe it.
0: Well, and that's the biggest thing with Liv is that they they make bikes that are designed for women, which is a great feeling like um, knowing that you're getting on a piece of machinery or on a, a, a piece of equipment that is going to get you um, out into the wild roads or out into the nature, you know, and it's designed for you. So you know that you're pedaling something that other women have really thought through all the process and how it's going to work. I enjoy that and similar to Burton, Burton has such a huge women's infrastructure at that company. I love aligning myself with companies um, who are forward thinking in how to uh, progress women's sports. I read this stat the other day um,
1: on People for Bikes, they do these huge research studies but that 53% of people in America would like to ride their bikes more.
0: Wow. That's a great stat.
1: Yeah. And, but they, the main reason that they don't is a safety issue. Huh. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. So it's like, I see, I see such big opportunities within the bike industry that that desire is there. How can uh, you take action and, you know, help people take action to get on their bikes and feel safe.
0: Yeah, and one thing that I have seen communities doing throughout my travels is creating more safe bike lanes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's helping people feel more safe. I know when I'm in a big city, it's scary or it's a little bit intimidating to get on my bike because, you know, the traffic's going to be moving way quicker than you. And But if you know you have a bike trail to go to, um, I think that could be people's safety net and having that private... Um, road for bikers runners strollers whatever it is just kind of gives people another reason to want to get outdoors and feel like they can really um use their body and not be fearful of what's happening around them
1: yes it's it's all about managing managing your fear
0: Yes. I think so so much of life.
1: So (laughs) much of life is about fear management. Yeah. What what are takeaways that you can give people? How do you, what are tips and tricks for you on managing fear in your life?
0: Fear management. uh, It's taken me a long time to learn that it's all a matter of your mind. Um, You decide what you want to be afraid of. And breathing and meditating and being present can really help eliminate those fears if you allow it and if you're ready to. Uh, for instance, like a fear of heights for me, I kind of had always struggled with this unknown fear of heights. Like I wasn't afraid when I was hitting a big jump, but I would, if I got to the top of a mountain, I'd be super on edge and I didn't want to get too close to the edge. And, um, I started realizing through a lot of reading and just spending a lot of time being mindful that I had the choice to be afraid or not and when I was present and I was just in the moment enjoying what I was doing, I didn't really have fear because I wasn't making time to assume what was going to happen or thinking I wasn't thinking about what had happened before and I think that's really when fear can exist is when you're not living in the present um so yeah just being mindful and being present and trying to let go of the things that you are scared of and that's you almost have to really tackle those things in order to let go of them I think
1: fear is this fear is like stories that we tell ourselves and so totally when I'm scared, I'm like, why, why am I telling myself all this stuff? Like this? I'm just making stories up in my head about what yeah. could happen, you know? So it's like to stop making up stories in your own head.
0: Yeah, it's so true. And like for rock, rock climbing has helped me a lot with that because you have to trust so much in your equipment, in your belayer, um, in everything going on around you. And when you're on the rock, it's just you and the rock. And you have all these moves in front of you that never really change it's just a matter of your mind's power and your body's strength to get you through them and even scrambling or like being up in Alaska all these moments of like high energy uh, ridge top um, experiences just makes you more connected and you're like okay I am standing on the top of the mountain right now and I'm totally fine Like nothing is happening around me that is threatening me. So I should just be able to enjoy this moment and being able to understand and comprehend that when you're in those high moments of stress um, is a lot to do with how I manage fear. I have a question for you
1: just because I'm curious. Um, So I love velocity and I love gravity, you know, and I love snowboarding and mountain biking simply because I love gravity so much and you are really into action sports, yet you it seems like you're really into rock climbing where you just fight gravity. <laughs> so <laughs>
0: That's I'm, a good point. I'm curious. You, so you like rock climbing? I love rock climbing. I love the way it challenges you. Uh, my husband, I have to thank for that because he has become very, very passionate about it. And that has kind of put me out of my comfort zone a lot. And I'm learning to see how much... Um, how much good it brings to my body and my mind and just my soul being connected to the rock there's always a challenge out there that you have to put the pieces together and I think for me because I am in a high impact sport and I did slope style contest for so long my body doesn't really handle high impact that much anymore and I like to be kind of conservative on my mountain bike because I have been accident prone, so (laughs) going up things (laughs) is a lot safer for me than (laughs) high velocity going down in more than one sport, so I try to keep (laughs) snowboarding as my high velocity, and then um, I... I also kind of joke that everything that I do during the winter is like I'm going down. Obviously, you can take chairlifts or different mechanical ways of getting up to these high peaks in the winter, but in the winter, I spend most of my season going down, and during the summer, I spend most of my season going up, and uh, that's climbing, hiking, running, whatever I can do, and obviously, you come down, too, but... um, I just enjoy that balance of life and seeing the mountains from both ways In knowing what you're getting yourself into terrain-wise during the summer and then that prepares you for the winter. But, yeah, I try to keep my high velocity to one sport at a time.
1: <laughs> that, that was probably one of the most beautiful explanations of how you view the mountains that I've ever heard. Oh, That was, like, really good. Thanks. Um, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. You go up in the summer and down them in the winter
0: yeah huh? I love and that it's, it's thanks it's I I've found that I mean the more time I spend in the backcountry the more time I want to spend the, in the backcountry in the summer because you start seeing and becoming so familiar with this terrain and it provides so much value like if you know you're going to be split boarding to these peaks in the winter it's really so helpful to know the exit strategies during the summer um that will help make those routes easier and you start getting just more familiar with the lines and what the mountains are doing. That's, yeah, so well-rounded. It's pretty addicting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> cool. Um, well, we only have a couple minutes left on the podcast, so are there any projects that you want to talk about for our show notes
0: or any links we can provide people with? I... Think so. Obviously, I'm filming with I filmed with Absent Films, so definitely stay tuned for that movie coming out this fall. And um, other than that, I'm working on doing a um, women-specific avalanche courses and backcountry safety type thing that will be uh, coming early this winter. So also stay tuned to that. I think the most important tool people can do if they're going into the backcountry is to get educated and to have a friend or two do the course with you because it's just going to make you and them that much more safe and prepared um, when you're going out to explore the mountains. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And I think that's all that I have. I think we all live a very beautiful life in the mountains, and, um, and even if you live in the city, you are connected to the mountains, especially if you're listening to this and just appreciating everything that our bodies and minds can do and embrace the mountains and nature and live a good life. Yes. So much
1: yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, great. Thank you,
1: Kimmy. Thanks for being here and sharing your words of wisdom and um, I
0: hope you have a great day in the mountains. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Have a great day as well. Bye. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much
1: for tuning into this episode. Thanks to Kimmy Fasani for being on the podcast. And of course, stay tuned as we explore what it's like to live and work and breathe in the outdoor industry. Bye.